I want to thank you, God, for your love over people and that you, um, your, your word says that you channel the hearts of kings. You direct the hearts of kings. And I think that includes um, the employees of the king, including deputy sheriffs, and you have very clearly channeled the hearts of, of people. I met three of them on Thursday whose heart is to maintain order all the while their heart is for the best for the people that they, that they, um, that they superintend and is that they, they deal with. Lord, uh, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on our community. There is brokenness. There is hopelessness. There, is, there are so many people who are wandering in a way that seems right to them, but, Lord, it leads to destruction. Lord, I just pray you pour your spirit out on our community and that many would come to know you here. Could you agree with that one? Amen? Amen. Okay, so, anyway, Thanksgiving. Don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Um, that's, I'm talking to me, not to you. Um, so... Today is the 22nd. Here's a proverb for you, verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. That's a great proverb. If you have purity of heart and grace on your lips, the king is going to be your friend. I think that's pretty cool. Today we're in part two um, and of a series, and the topic is things that are our words, not God's. But we put them into God's mouth. We say these things, I think... Um, People think that God has said these things, but God actually never said these things. Last, last week we talked about a very controversial belief system that basically says, above all else, God wants us happy. And that's actually not the way God would speak about things. He doesn't mind it if we're happy in our hearts, right? But anyways, that was last week. Next week, um, we're going to suspend this series. In fact, we're going to suspend it for a little bit of time so we can uh, talk about Christmas. And I'm going to start um, a Christmas series next week. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to having Christmas carols in the services, and, um, you know, get with the Spirit. Merry Christmas, by the way. You know, you can actually say Merry Christmas in public. It's not against the law yet. Merry Christmas. Okay, good. Good for you. So um, <clears throat> I want to just pray over the word. Lord, uh, guide us today. I pray that what your Spirit wants to accomplish in my heart and in the hearts of everyone within hearing would happen um, without respect to this Flawed vessel in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Do you <laughs> okay? Do you ever get the feeling that you know, you know? Sometimes you can you can kind of get this pessimistic outlook where you're you know you're, you're you're either going into the beginning of a difficult season, or you're you're in one already, or you've just come out of one, and you don't have no no idea how long you're going to be. I mean, do you ever get that? Feeling? It's not very encouraging, but I mean, does it? ever seem kind of like close to the truth? Any, can I see hands? Just a few of us. Oh, come on. A lot, I think a lot of us feel that way. I mean, I think our lives can get very, very complicated very, very quickly, and we never see it coming. I mean, and I think that when that happens, when, when life feels like it's spiraling and headed into trouble, it's amazing how quickly we can start to feel like this is more than I can handle. It's just more than I was built to carry the weight of. And I'm pretty sure that in a group this size, some of you right this minute, right this minute, you're going through a lot. Maybe it could be you know, a financial weight that is just too much, or you've received a bad report from a doctor, or um, there are relationships in your life and they're melting down, or your job isn't stable, or you know, you, you're struggling with depression. It could be all kinds of things. And the weight that you feel is just getting heavy. It's getting heavy and heavier and heavier and until you finally think, I, I just can't, I can't take any more of this. 
And that seems like, if you, if you circulate among Christians, it's somewhere along about there that a very well-meaning, right-hearted Christian will come along, and they'll say something to you, you know, and it'll maybe sound like this, you know, they'll say something like, you know, they, it's okay, Terry, whenever God closes a door, he opens up a window. And I know they mean well, but I have no idea what that statement means. I mean, I mean... If I'm on the eighth floor, I don't really care about open windows right now. I mean, it's like, that is not good news to me. Or, you know, there are other things people will say. God didn't say that. I mean, there are other things people will say, you know, that, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Do you know God never actually said that? I don't know who said that, but it wasn't God. It might have been Ben Franklin or something. I have no idea who said that. Um, So it probably wasn't Ben, and I'm sorry, Ben, for, you know, blaming you for that. But I mean... I mean, that's, that's for another time. Today I want to take a look at what I think is probably one of the largest misbeliefs maybe in the Christian community, and that's when people say to you, hey, hey, don't worry, don't worry. God will never give you more than you can handle. You hear that phrase? I mean, I've heard that so many times. I mean, people really, but, but we, we need to really embrace this truth. God never said that. God never said that he wouldn't give us uh, more than you could ever handle. And, and the thing is, that I, I think a lot of people believe that's true. They think God said that. And um, I, I think the reason people believe that is because there is a scripture that says something really close to that, but it doesn't say that. And that uh, scripture is very powerful. It's found in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10. Pa- Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about the subject of temptation, and he says this, he says, uh, verse 13, God is faithful. That's, that's good news, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out. He never says, God never says he's not going to let you carry more than you can handle. It does say that he won't let you be tempted beyond what you ha- can have the ability to deal with. But he never says... He's not going to give you more than you can handle. In fact, if you take a look at, if you survey the entire Word of God, the whole Bible, it is full of stories and examples of people who were facing more than they can handle. I mean, um, in the book of Judges, there's a guy named Gideon, and he, he makes a statement. He, he basically says, hey, I'm the weakest in my clan. I, I'm, the, I'm the least in my family. You know, God, I, I don't have what it takes to do what you're asking me to do. He's, he, you know, that's Gideon. Moses, Moses, you know, the whole story, the Exodus. He says, but, but God, I'm slow of speech. I'm not that good a leader. And he's, he's basically saying, God, I, I, I'm not going to be able to bear up under this. These people are wearing me out. You know, I don't have what it takes. Esther, the story about Esther, who um, was amazing. And um, she faced a solution to a huge problem that was genocide, basically. And um, the solution required her to do some things that by the law of the land required the death sentence. I mean, that's a lot of weight to bear. Most of us are not built to face the death sentence, right? I mean, King David, you know, he, 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 he was man after God's own heart, but he also augured into some pretty deep sin. And he was caught up in some of that sin, and, um, and when he was under the weight, the consequences of what, what he was facing, here's what he said in Psalm 38, verses 4 and verse 8. He says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. 
It's okay. We love babies. And life is hard at that age. I don't know what it is, but daddy's going to take care of it. Bless that little one. It's a little girl because it's got a pink hat. Is that, is that a nice stereotype? Is that pretty good? Bless that little child, Lord, and um, thank you that she is in church today. She's welcome here anywhere, anytime. I want you to know that. Thank you for your sensitivity, though, but um, I love little ones like that. I got a couple of them. I'm, I'm ready for my kids to bring more of them to the household, so, okay. Um, okay, where was I? Okay, my guilt, this is, this is David talking, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Verse 8, he says, I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. This guy is at rock. He's hurting. My groans, anguished heart. I don't have what it takes. Even Jesus, even Jesus in, in, in the New Testament, where, you know, in the book of Mark, Jesus is, is, is facing, he knows he's, what he's coming towards on the cross. And, and here's what the Gospel of Mark says. It says, it says, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow. Jesus is physically and emotionally overwhelmed. It says to the point of death. God never promises us that he'll never face more than you could handle. He just doesn't. And some of you, right this minute, you know, you're underweight and, and pressure in your life and, and you don't feel like you have what it takes. Here's our question, the really obvious question. God, why would you allow us to face more than we can handle? This hurts. And I'm going to cover two reasons today. There's probably more, but I'm going to come up with two. For Number one, I believe that there are times when, when God wants to teach us to depend on his presence. Sometimes he just wants to, to, to teach us to depend on his presence. I mean, I mean, to illustrate that, have you ever noticed how when you know, things start going really well for you, it's actually pretty easy to forget about God when things are going really, really well? Have you noticed that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, be honest with yourself. When life's going where you want and how you want, yeah, yeah, God, I know you're there. I still, you know, I kind of need you. But right now, not so much because, you know, we're doing pretty good here. In fact, I... Hope that you'll keep things going well for me and just, you know. I mean, we can kind of do that when things, we just don't feel this urgent need for God when things are going really well. But when they start to unravel, you know, you start remembering, God, God, I, I need you. You know, we, we, we see this, there's lots of examples of this, and one of the best ones in the Old Testament is a guy named Jonah. <laughs> and God says to Jonah, hey, I want you to get over there to Nineveh. I want you to preach about me to the Ninevites. Now, this was an evil city, and... Jonah had a bit of an attitude. He didn't want to do it. He pretty much said, no, um, nope, not going to happen, God, not going to do it. And so instead of doing uh, it, he actually runs the absolute opposite direction. And he starts to rebel. He starts to push against and go away from the things that the Lord was speaking to him that he wanted him to do. And um, I think many times when God is speaking to us about something he wants us to do, he's wanting something accomplished for the kingdom. But many times... The things that the Lord wants us to accomplish for the kingdom also put us personally in a trajectory to a place where God's blessing for us is sitting. It's over there. It's not over here, Jonah. And Jonah says, I don't want to go over there. I'm going to go over here because I don't want to go over there. Even though God's blessings are over here, and we can kind of get into a little bit of a rebellious snit sometimes, 
Is that a real word? Snit? I mean, we can kind of get to the place where we think, well, I'm just going to do my own thing, and um, here's the deal. We move ourselves sometimes. Rebellion will do this to us. We move ourselves out of a place where God is able to bless us. Because God can never bless your rebellion. He cannot bless sin. He wants to bless you and me, and I know, I know when Terry is intentionally walking out of the places that God can bless. <laughs> I hear some snickers. Some of you know when Terry walks out of the places, but you know it about yourself too. <laughs> and um, so Jonah, you know, he's, he's, he's moving by rebellion out of the place where God can bless him. And here's the thing. That moved him also out somewhat of under the Lord's covering and protection. There is an enemy that you and I face. It's not flesh and blood. Who has come to rob and to kill and to destroy. And when we find ourselves under the covering and protection of the Lord, that's a good thing. When we intentionally walk away from that, the one who wants to rob, kill, and destroy starts to rob and to kill and to destroy. And he'll get everything he can from you. I mean, I... I believe that, I mean, I, I don't know that I could make a scriptural case for this, but I believe this. I believe that there is a priority that hell wants. The first thing that hell wants to do is to kill your spiritual life, destroy your relationship with God. If he can do that, that's the ultimate goal. If he can't do that, then he'll go down a succeeding list of priorities. If he can't do that, he'll kill your marriage, or he'll kill your relationship with your kids, or he'll kill your hope. I mean, there are things that the hell wants to do to you and me, and rebellion moves us out of a place of covering and protection. And vulnerability sometimes. And there's Jonah, and he starts experiencing some, I'm going to call these odd experiences, okay? He gets tossed off the ship. That's, I don't know how many of you have been tossed off the ship by the people on the ship. He gets tossed, and then the next thing is a giant fish swallows him up. And um, yes, I, I believe that that literally happened. I really do. But that's a different time for us. In Jonah 2, verses 2, and here's what he says. In my distress... I called to the Lord. Notice what Jonah didn't say. He didn't say, in my success, I called the Lord. He said, in my distress. It's amazing how much more we crave, how much more we need God when we're under distress and, 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 and we overlook him sometimes when we're, things are cruising. In my distress, I called the Lord, he said, and he answered me. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. In his distress, he called. And I think for some people, when they get, you know, into the middle of that storm, they start to, you know, wonder some things. And they start asking these questions. God, why, why, why is this happening, God? You know, if God was with me, this wouldn't be happening. I don't understand why God's allowing this. I, I, I prayed. Instead, though, it seems like I'm getting the opposite of what I'm praying for. If God was good, if God was powerful, if God was with me, this would not be happening. I still believe God's with me. And I want to suggest to, I don't know, someone here needs to hear this, maybe many of us, um, but I think the Holy Spirit wants to take this and stick it in, in, into some hearts. Never, ever, ever let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Somebody needs to capture that. Never, ever, ever let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Because every now and then in our lives, wind is going to blow. Every now and then, waves are going to crash. It's just part of life. 
But never ever let the presence of that storm convince you that God's not there too. And there's a whole lot about that in Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite psalms. I'm not going to go down there today. But make a note, Psalm 139 tells you, promises you. It tells you a whole lot of cool things about God and the way he thinks about you. Psalm 139. Why would God allow you to experience something more than you, you can handle? And I think sometimes it's to teach us to depend on him, to draw us closer to him. Jonah says, in my distress, I remembered the Lord and I call on him. And here's another one of date by David, and this is in Psalm 145. He says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He's near to all who call on him, to those who call on him in truth. And some of you, you know, you're going to be in a storm, and when that happens, you're going to remember this. And you're going to call on him, and you're going to seek him. And when you seek him, he's going to show himself to you. You know, when you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Never, ever let the presence of a storm convince you that God's not present. And I look back into Terry's history, you know, and I think about the storms that I've faced. I am absolutely convinced beyond any bit of a doubt that the Lord allowed me at times. He didn't put those storms in my life. They were consequences. They were attacks. They were mistakes. They were, they were whatever they were. Um, but he allowed me to get to the place that I couldn't handle what I was facing so that I'd be drawn back into his goodness, so that I'd be drawn into this, this place instead of my tendency to wander. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I have a tendency to wander. The Proverbs say so. It says, a man does right in his own eyes, but in the end of it, it leads to, depending on your translation, either death or destruction, both of which you don't want. We do, we have a tendency to do things that seem right to us. Okay, this would be the right thing for me to do. We, we, we've got this plan, but at the end, it's not the way the Lord would have us wander. And, and sometimes I, I think he let me, let Terry get to some place where I'm in a fairly deep valley, mostly... So I'd recognize who he is, and so I'd want him, and I would call on him, call on his name. And, you know, I've made some stupid decisions in my life, hopefully more earlier in life and fewer and fewer as I get older. You know, I'm not free of stupid decisions. <laughs> and um, I look back and I think about, you know, I can, some of those are far enough in my, my rearview mirror, I can look back and think, you know, now that I look at what was going on there, I'm sure God was watching me wander. You know, here's Terry, here's God's will for him and his blessing, and I'm wandering off some direction, and all, the whole while God is going, come on, Terry, over here. The blessing's over here. That's not it. And as I got uncomfortable, I started looking for God. Where's the beacon? Where, where's, where's the safe place? Where's the pier that I can tie down to in this storm? And um, I think, you know, for from any calculation you might come up with, a lot of who I am today has been forged in me in those moments, you know, because God allowed me to learn this difference between my valleys, which I had chosen, and, um, you know, where I'd chosen to go along on my own without God's input, versus places that God would bless. And I, you know, I, I know you can have 
great experiences when you're on a mountaintop, right? They're fun. We, like, we prefer the mountaintop. But I think I best experience God when I'm in a valley. I hate to say it. My flesh is probably more available to really experiencing the richness of God when I realize that the path that I choose isn't God's highest and best for me. And those valleys make me most aware of my need for God in my life. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I won't fear no evil for the Lord without with me. You know, there just are so many good things that can happen in those valleys. And I think I really best experience his presence when, you know, I'm in a valley. That's why if I had to pick, I would rather be in the valley with God's presence than on some mountaintop somewhere without God. Because that mountaintop without God is an illusion. It's just an illusion. I think there may be people here who are in some hurting place, and um, I want you to know something. I want you to know you are not alone. We can feel so isolated and alone when we're in that valley, but never ever let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Why would God allow us to, to, to experience more than we can handle? We've talked about one. A second reason which I think God will allow us to experience more than we can handle is this. It's to teach us to experience his power. To help us experience his supernatural power because I think too many of us tend to do life on our own. We do. Maybe it's to, to teach us to depend on his presence and a little bit on our power. I remember, and I was kind of mad at my dad but I remember when he decided to take the training wheels off my bicycle. I can still remember that. I was ticked. I had a little bike that was perfect for me. I could get on it, and it wouldn't tip over. There was no need for a kickstand. I didn't know about balance so much because I had training wheels, and I could go where I wanted to go. Now, there were some obvious limitations. You try to turn a corner too fast with training wheels, and you're headed for pain. And, um, but I liked it. I liked having my training wheels because I was in control and um, I didn't need anybody as outside. I didn't have to depend on anybody or anything. It was completely within my control. You, you following me? Okay. And I was kind of ticked when my dad decided to take my training wheels. He did not ask me how I felt. Hey, should we take your training wheels off? Or he didn't explain to me. He just said, we're taking off your training wheels. I was mad at him. <laughs> I don't know how old I was. Four or five. I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, up until he took those off, I didn't need anybody's, anybody's help to ride a bicycle. But my father, well, let me just say this is an analogy here, um, and I suppose this can break down, down at some scale. But when I was four and my father was whatever my father was, his thoughts were higher than my thoughts. His ways were higher than my ways. I thought, I'm happy with my training wheels. Don't touch my training wheels. And he said, those are coming off. And off they went. Now, I fought that. And um, once they came off, I experienced some bumps. <laughs> I mean, I experienced some valleys when I had to ride a bicycle without training wheels. I mean, I crashed. I probably bled a little bit. I probably had some bruises. I, you know... What I'm talking about? Did all of you just instantly start riding a bike without training wheels? I mean, do we even do training? I mean, I mean, so, I mean, I he, he would say, you know, keep your balance. What does that phrase mean to a four-year-old? 
keep my balance. I didn't understand anything. All I knew was, you know, my little intellect couldn't wrap around it. And what I've learned later was that the real power keeping me upright wasn't me. It wasn't. When I finally decided to trust my father to do things his way, I experienced something new that my little four-year-old mind would never wrap its mind around. It's the laws of physics. There were some things going on that will keep you upright. And by the way, those laws of physics were created by the creator of the universe. They're part of creation. And there's something called the conservation of angular momentum. Okay, so all you physics nerds, here's your moment, okay? So the, the conservation of angular momentum says that the angular momentum in any series has to remain, let's see, I better write this, retains the same strength and orientation unless it's acted upon by an outside force. <sighs> Man. <laughs> unless it's acted on by an outside force. And, um, you know, when you get on a bicycle, there are some things that start going on when you get those wheels spinning that will keep you upright as long as you go fast enough, which is a cool thing on a bicycle. And, you know, I, I had no idea that there were things going on there outside of my capability to understand and control. You see there's an analogy kind of painting him, painting here. There was, there was a lot of mystery about this topic of angular momentum um, when um, you know, scientists were doing physics on experiences. This is an old, old science we're talking about here. And one of the things that confounded scientists <laughs> was the... Okay, so there was this study done in the 1890s um, and it was published in a scientific journal called Nature Magazine in 1894, and it was the idea of a living gyroscope. Okay, so here's a picture of a living gyroscope. <laughs> okay, so what's going on here is, this is an actual photo that was published in 1894 in Nature Magazine, and you see the scientist, who's purely interested in the science of this, holding a cat upside down, back down, holding its legs. And the, the thing is, cats land on their feet. Okay? I, know, I knew if I put a cat picture up here, you wouldn't take me seriously. But this is actually serious now, kind of. Okay? So you can see what happens over time. He's holding the cat upside down by his feet and letting go of it. And what happens is, somehow, this cat breaks the law of conservation of angular momentum because the system, the cat, changes its orientation somehow in the fall and it lands on its feet. You know that a cat will land on its feet, right? Okay, they did this experiment over and over and over again. They were trying to figure out how does this cat beat the system? Here's what they figured out. This, the, the conservation of angular momentum, it's, 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 it's true, it works. Something has changed in here, and there's a variable. The cat has a couple of things. It has um, a backbone that is flexible, and it has a collarbone that seems to be non-functional. Here's what happens. The cat changes its shape. The cat has to, if the cat does not change its shape, it will fall on its back and get hurt. But somehow the cat knows that, and it allows itself, its shape, to be changed. And, 
they're smarter than some of us. <laughs> they are. They're smart. And, and so because it allowed itself to be shaped differently, it lands on its feet. Technically, this is not a rabbit trail. This is a cat trail. I'm going to move on. And here's the thing about the training wheels and, and all of that I didn't understand. You know, a bike doesn't need you and me to stay upright. And here's some proof. Okay, just in case you missed that. Okay. I <laughs> I realize the analogy breaks down at some level, but I mean, I know when, as a little guy, I realized that there were forces at work bigger than me. It turned my world when it came to bicycles. It changed my, my changed my world. And and here's the deal: this 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 scenario is for me maybe a pretty close, a reasonable picture of what many of us are doing wrong. We go through life saying, you know, I got to do it on my strength, my strength. You know, I can do this because, you know, I I can do more than I, I, God will never give me more than I can have. So I, so I've got to be able to do this on my own because, you know, you know, and, and the reason you hang on with your own strength is that you've been programmed to believe the lie that God will never give you more than you can handle. And if that's true, if that statement is true, he'll never give you more than you, then you have to hold on. You've got to have the ability to handle it. And you have to have the power. The thing is that that's just simply not true. <laughs> you weren't created to have all of the power you need to live life on your own. You weren't created to do that. You were created to need God. And at times, you were created to desperately need God. And when you recognize that God doesn't expect you to do everything on your own, that's when you're going to experience his power. That's when it'll show up. The Apostle Paul talks about this. Um, There's a comment he makes about this thorn in his flesh. And um, you can read about that. In fact, we'll take a look at what he said about it. But, you know, there was something in his life, and it plagued his whole life. And now scholars have talked about this forever. You know, what was this thorn in his flesh? And we don't really know. There's speculation that he had relationships that were always fracturing. I don't know. Um, It was that. It could be that he was always under attack by the, you know, the religious leaders and the government, and they were all after him. And, you know... um, Maybe it was something physical. Many people think you know, he had failing eyesight, so it had something to do with physical. Um, whatever it was, Scripture says that he pleaded with God three times to take this thorn away from him. And now, when it says he pleaded three times, that's not like, Lord, would you, Lord, would you take that away from me? That's one. Lord, would you take this away from me? That's two. That's not what, we're, what the Scripture's talking about. These are three seasons, three significant seasons that he, he, he made a full-throttle pass that's a drag racing comment. He made this full throttle attempt to um, you know, do whatever it would take spiritually to get God to, to, to lift this thing from him. It was probably a season where you know, there was seeking and 
prayer and maybe fasting. And maybe he got the people in his church fasting. And so, you know, please, God, take this away. And, and that's what Paul's doing. And, and, you know, based on just who Paul is and the stuff that we know about him to now, I'm thinking that if there's any scale out there that merits, okay, God, uh, God would answer a prayer. I mean, I would think this guy would be pretty high up on the list of merit. I mean, I mean I'm thinking of if, if anybody had faith, Paul, you know, this guy would have had faith. And I think that for you and for me, there will come times in our life when, you know, if we walk long enough in this sin-filled world, if we walk long enough with the Lord, there's going to be a time where you find there's maybe a thorn in your life that just won't resolve. It just, and you're going to ask God, God, why? Why is this not getting dealt with? You know, why can't you answer my prayer? Why can't you help this depression go away? Why, why, why can't you heal my child of these continuing headaches? Or, you know, I, it's so hard on me to watch somebody I love hurting God. Why? What's the deal? Why can't you fix this marriage? Why can't you, you know, turn my kids so that they'll face you, Lord? Maybe it'd be nice if I could just go through one month and not have financial strain. God, why don't you do this, these things? And you know he can but he just doesn't do it. Why would God allow me to have more than I can handle? Why does he just fix this? And that's exactly where Paul was. That's where he is. And God spoke to him. He had a conversation, and we pick this up in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. Wow. That's hard to understand by worldly standards. You know, he's saying, my grace is what you need, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And now Paul starts <laughs> saying some things that I would basically call crazy talk. Okay? Wait, 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 wait. Where is he going with this? Okay. But here's what Paul says. He says, okay, your power shows up in my weaknesses. Okay, well, if that's the case, then therefore... I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In other words, he's saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm weak here. Why? So that Christ's power has a place to show up. Rest on me. And, and in verse 10, he says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults. He's saying, okay, God, it's really okay. People insult me for serving you. In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Now, when Paul mentions hardships and persecutions, we're talking about a guy who was beaten and whipped and left for dead and snake. I mean, he had, he was persecuted. And um, he's using the word delight. Is this sounds, this could really sound like some Christian in denial. Pretending things are good, you know, hey, que sera, sera, I delight in this. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, this stuff hurts, but I know I see something supernaturally powerful, and this is the time and this is the place. He says, for, I, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, it's really quiet in this room. I think it's time for you to read a scripture line with me. Let's all read that line together. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, you could do better than that. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Good. Paul delights in his hard stuff because, you know, he's thinking, when I don't have what it takes, 
when I can tap into the supernatural power of God, I, I, I have working in me the very same spirit that raised Christ from the grave. Wow. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, for me, I've shared this before with you. Um, this comes through every Sunday for me in my ministry role. I'm, I'm, I'm not an extrovert. I've you know, gotten used to standing up in front of people, and I've done this for many years now, but this does not come natural for me. I consider it a success every Sunday when you don't grab me by the throat after church, take me to the railroad tracks and tie me up. Okay, I mean, that's another successful Sunday. I, I'm kind of exaggerating, but, but, but this has not come easy for me. It's not. And, you know, and, and I also know a little bit about scriptures, and there's this scripture in James chapter 3, and it says, hey, I'm going to paraphrase. It's verse 1. You can check me out. He basically says, hey, don't just jump into the job of being a teacher in the church. Be wise about that, because if you do that ministry role, you're going to be held to a different standard, a higher, harder standard. God expects something more. Don't do this unless you're sure. I'm thinking, okay, do I really? <laughs> you know, and, and, and so I, sometimes I think you know, about this ministry role. I don't really want to be critiqued today. I don't want to give a sermon and do whatever I do and have you go, hey, thanks. I really needed that, that nap. Thanks, Terry. I don't want to be, I, I, you know, I, sometimes I just don't feel like I want to be critiqued. I, you go to lunch and say, you know, well, you know, I kind of liked the sermon. I'd give it a seven. I really liked the beat, but it was a little hard to dance to or whatever. I mean, you know, or I, I didn't like what he said about this or said about that and I disagreed with that or his hair looks stupid. I'm losing my hair. <laughs> no. and, and sometimes I feel physically, today's, today I'm, fi- I'm pushing through a chest cold. You don't want to shake my hand today after church. There's cooties alive there. For those of you who shook my hand before church, you can run for the whatever. Um, but I, I just, when that happens, I just kind of pray and I pound down the, the vitamins and drink as much fluid as I can. And, and, um, but here's, I don't always feel like doing this. It's not that my heart does. I just, I'm human. And here's what I found out. When I feel the weakest, least capable, least competent, when I'm not so sure about what I'm going to share, when I'm discouraged or whatever, that's when it seems like God shows up and his power works the best. You know, God, I don't think God ever shows up at 10 o'clock on a Sunday at Crossroads Church thinking, man, I can hardly wait to see what Terry has to say today. I, I know that's not why you come either. Not, nobody should be coming for anything other than expecting to encounter the king. Which is why, you know, I have a little ritual. You don't even know this goes on. Some of you have, I've, I've talked about it, but, but I have a little ritual. It's something, but you'd never even notice it. But when I get up here, I, I intentionally take a physical step. Sometimes it's minuscule, but in those moments, it's meaningful to me. It's not like, it's not like hocus pocus supernatural, but I got to deal with God. I'm going to do what you've called and asked me to do, but I'm going to have to step into something beyond Terry. I have to step into an anointing or a a calling or something more than a book report. I have no interest in coming here on Sundays and giving you a book report. I, I just, but I know 
that when I step forward into a calling that the Lord has placed on my life, that he's going to use me through my weaknesses. And I'm no different than you. You got hair. (laughs) And the thing is, I don't want to ever, ever, ever anymore rely on the training wheels because they set such limits. When we keep everything within our control, what we can control and make work on our own without God, thank you very much, it sets such low limits for us. I'll take my weaknesses combined with God's strengths over my strengths any day and twice on Sunday. You know, and, and the reason is because, you know, here's another analogy, because I'm sailing. I'm not rowing. You get the difference. I mean, I mean, I mean, and some of you right now, you're rowing. You're rowing. You get in a boat, you get a row, and you're thinking, God won't give me more than I can handle. So here I go. I can get there. I can get there. And, you know, and you'll be able to get there and go there for a while, but you won't be able to keep that up forever. And I've learned to just kind of hoist the sail and say, okay, the sail's here. It's up to the wind of the Spirit now to move me. I'm not saying that we sit back and make God think. I'm saying that we don't rely upon these muscles to get us from A to B. We rely on the wind of the Spirit. And instead of saying and trying to do it myself, I serve a God that gets it done through me. For when I'm weak, then he's strong. Now, I don't know why necessarily or who is hurting in this room today, but my prayer is that that you're going to get to know him better while you're in that valley than you may ever know when you're on a mountaintop. That you might experience something of his power even more real because you recognize that in your weaknesses, you're not going to be able to do it. His strengths will. Oh, but God will never give you more than you can handle. I'm Actually, no, that's just not true. It's just the opposite. He's going to give you more than you can handle because it moves you to a place of needing him. If you're going to be a parent, if you're going to be a foster parent, if you're going to be an unofficial person who cares for someone else that's not your biological offspring, you're going to need power. Because there's going to be times when you have more than you can handle. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to raise teenagers, there will be times that you there will be more than you can handle. If you're going to invest yourself in any ministry, which you all ought to, there are going to be times that you face more than you can handle. If you're a man married to a woman, or a woman married to a man, there will be times when you will face more than you can handle. And instead of saying, I've got to be strong because God will never give me more than I can handle, you admit, you know, when I'm weak, when I'm broken, that's when God will be strongest. And I'm going to depend on him because his strength is made perfect through me. And I don't know who it is right now, um, but if you feel like life is giving you more than you can handle, if you feel like there's something that you wish God would do for you but it hasn't changed and you're saying, you know, why, why are you letting me? Maybe it's because um, he wants you to get to know his presence because you often experience him better in the, in the valleys than you will or maybe it's because when you delight in your weaknesses, that's when he'll be made strong. 
Some of us in this room, we need to stop rowing and start sailing. Let the wind of the Spirit propel you. There is a, you know, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. I, I'm, I'm grateful about a promise that the Lord made, and he, he gives it to us in Romans 8, 28. It says, all things work together for the good of those who are called and love God. I mean, you have a promise from the Lord that your circumstances, he's going to make them come out okay. I want to pray for you, church. And um, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but eyes are still open. Um, but we'll close our eyes in just a minute. But I want to ask this question. If you are in or headed into or are close to someone who's in a terribly difficult season right now and it could use some prayer, stick your hand up in the air. Okay. All right. Let's close our eyes. God, I want to thank you that you care about every single detail in our lives. You do. Every single one. Your word tells us.